good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Cody Cuff, Henny Cutter, Because all the hippies are trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanjahade. Hey, Kadagi, to all my friends and relatives in four directions, you are listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot, and we discuss local and national Native news and events, and as you know, Haley, Native issues are human issues, and human issues are Native issues. Yes, they are, Robert. And today's episode of Native Roots Radio is presented in partnership with Little Moments Count. Hey, you know, Little Moments Count is a statewide collaborative focused on helping parents and caregivers learn about the importance of brain development in the first three years of life. And we have an awesome guest here. We talked a little bit before we uh, came on the air, and we have uh, Linda Smith, Linda K. Smith, uh, is a director of early childhood policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center, a Washington, D.C.-based think tank. Oh, thank you so much, Linda, for coming on and talking about early child development and, and your work over the years. Thank you. Thank you. It's a really nice to be here, and I really appreciate the invitation. Right. You know, I read in your bio that I see that you were raised in Flathead, the Flathead Reservation. How did your experience growing up on the reservation influence your path as an early childhood educator? Well, you know, it's interesting because in so many ways, I mean, you, you know, those early years are formative years for all of us. And growing up on a reservation in a very diverse community and all the experiences that go along with that um, were you know, life, they, they're just life experiences. But what impacted my work in early childhood was, and this is going to date me, but I actually volunteered in one of the very first um, Head Start programs that were mm. um, developed back in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, I volunteered on on the in the program on, on the Flathead and actually went back to where I went to school at the University of Montana and changed my major and decided that I wanted to, to major in early childhood. Just understanding the impact, even in those days, the impact that you could have on children's lives. Um, and the Head Start program has demonstrated that for many, many years. Well, wow, it really has, and it's been a great program, and uh, those first few years are so important. Um, have another question here. You have had many roles in early childhood education, including setting up a child care program on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation in your home state of Montana. You've remained a voice for tribal child care over the years. Would you say this is an area of great interest to you, or in, and if it is, why is it? You know, it, it, it is and has been, I think, because um, my first job in early childhood, really, out after I got out of college, was was um, working for the Northern Cheyenne Tribe, and we set up a daycare program. And I was pretty young, actually, and, the, and it was, you know, a lot of, given a lot of, um, you know, it, ability to to do things. So I got I learned very early all of the mechanics of setting up a child care program. And I think that that, you know, has stayed with me for throughout my career. You know, it's like one of these things I know, I, I always go back to the circle of life and you sort of end up going back to where you begin began. And I think that's what has brought me to this point where I'm working right now at the Bipartisan Policy Center in working on Native American issues and trying still to work on the issues around early childhood, child care, and child development. I think one of the most important lessons that if you want to talk about what, you know, you learned um, while you're there was, I think what I learned so much is the importance of parents in the lives of children. And that if we're going to do anything in this country, we have got to involve parents 
more in the early childhood years and help them understand the importance of it, but give them, I mean, they know their children better than anybody. And we need to respect that more in this country across the board. But I think I learned that so early on in working with, you know, on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. Right. And I know a lot of our relatives have a lot of trauma and it's hard to, uh, to raise a child when you're going through your own trauma. So that's, that's an awesome idea and it needs to happen because they both in one way or another need some sort of uh, guidance and training. Mm -hmm. We had a, you know, a a parent program along with our, and, and that was one of the takeaways again from the Head Start program because the Head Start program does a really nice job of involving parents. And in the, Childcare program that I that I set up in both um, Lame Deer and then uh, in Ashland, we involved the parents and in fact we set up parenting classes for them so that they learned what was going on with their children, but they learned along with their children, and you could just see the changes in families. And so I I'm just you know I, I guess it's what's coming full circle here, you know in terms of you know, what's good early childhood and that parent piece. Right. And I, I know, um, and this is a little off subject, but I'm sure you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about is that, you know, with all the trauma and the losing the language and a couple generations, it's really good for our, our newly uh, parents to um, learn about themselves and then be able to teach, uh, teach whether it's language, learning language, or just learning to, to read to the kids uh, when they're really young. You know, those are so important. And I know as a former educator, whatever you concentrate on gets better. And so, mm-hmm. you know, your kind of work um, is, uh, is just really so, so important. You know, we did, um, again, a little off topic, but one of the things that we did um, in the programs that I had on the Cheyenne Reservation were to bring in the culture at a time when that really wasn't done. You know, I mean, there was a lot of emphasis on, you know, we were just coming out of the time when the boarding schools and the whole issue, you know, around some of those things. And we actually had one of our staff teaching the Native language, which at the time people were saying, no, don't do that because then, you know, they don't learn English. And there was just something intuitive about, no, we need to, we need to do this. And we taught, um, taught the Cheyenne language to the children in the childcare center. And now today, of course, everyone's doing that as they should, and we we should, but it was kind of against the, you know, counter what people were saying at the time. But I, if I did one thing right at the time, I think I go back and look at that, and I think that was the right thing to do then, and it still is. Yeah, definitely. And I know as uh, uh, our godchildren speak uh, in their family Spanish and English, and what was interesting when they were very little, they didn't talk. They were, you know, their their brain and all the electrodes were getting connected. And then all of a sudden, when they did start talking, they spoke in both languages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. My own daughter was with me in the program that we that I ran there. And she now right now speaks five languages. And I credit the fact that she learned to, to she learned Cheyenne as a child. Now she doesn't wow. know it anymore, but she did learn that. Wow, that is amazing. Hey, we got uh, a minute before we hit a hard break, but I just got a quick question, and hopefully you'll be able to answer this is in, in due time. Your recent work as Director of Early Childhood at the Bipartisan Policy Center has continued this interest. Can you describe your work uh, on the tribal child care issue at the BPC? Yes, we have a, spe- a specific project focusing on tribal child care. And for, you know, what our work is really focused on right now is bringing equity to the funding of, of tribal child care. We know that in the work that we've done, um, the way Congress divvies up money is ridiculous, to be honest. So pro- that'll probably get me in some kind of trouble. But <laughs> the fact that it's a flat percentage, it's not based on the number of children or the actual need. It's just a percentage. And it 
every time a tribe is added to the federal, you know, federally recognized tribes, the others get less. That doesn't make any sense. Let's talk more about this. Hey, we're with Linda K. Smith, and we're talking about early childhood. Uh, we'll be right back with Little Moments Count. We'll be, you're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake. If the statistics say that one in three Native women and one in six Native men have experienced sexual assault in their lifetime, it means our whole community is affected by sexual violence. One is too many. Don't stand by. Stand up. Don't engage in acts of sexual violence and shut down the dirty jokes, the gossip, the victim blaming and shaming. As a community, we can change the way we respond. Contact the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition to attend a workshop to learn more. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Your Blue Line Extension Project wants to hear from you. We are working on extending the Blue Line Light Rail into North Minneapolis, Robbinsdale, Crystal, and Brooklyn Park, and connecting it to our growing transit system. Tell us about your neighborhood, your business, your family, and what you need from your Blue Line. Learn more and share more of your story at yourblueline.org. That's yourblueline.org. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. This is Ross Stadheim, partner at MJSB Employment Justice. When you've been wronged at work or something just doesn't feel right, it's hard to know what to do next. Our firm can help. We pride ourselves on communication and listening to our brave clients to obtain their own brand of justice. When you hire MJSB Employment Justice, you're not just a number. You're a valued client who will be represented by one of our experienced and accomplished partners every step of the way. That's our promise. Be heard. You deserve better. Contact us today at mjsbjustice.com. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. This episode of Native Roots Radio is presented in partnership with Little Moments Count. Yes, it is. And I want to say nearly 80% of brain growth happens in the first thousand days. And uh, small moments of interaction like talking, playing, reading, and singing help create pathways that build a child's brain during this early age of stage in life. And we're here with uh, Linda K. Smith, and we're talking about early development. I think we kind of, you were getting deep into something before we took a break, and that that was pretty interesting what you had to say. I, I don't know if you mind repeating that, what when a new uh, nation becomes recognized, you were saying, you're muted right now. I don't know if I muted you or if you, oh, unmuted. Oh. No, you're okay. muted. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> okay, we're back on. Yeah. Uh, no, what I was starting to talk about was the way Congress um, sets aside money for the tribal child care programs. And they basically throw in, you know, a percentage and it's like, okay, let's give the tribes 5%. Well, the 5% is not enough money. Um, we I think we know that. But the other thing, the other reason that's a problem is every time there's another tribe that gets federal federal recognition, the pot gets thinner for everybody else. So there's really, I mean, it's counterintuitive that we would, you know, just keep adding, you know, more to and getting less. And so mm-hmm. it, it's so what what it amounts to in terms of child care for every native child the government is giving five hundred, about $520 um, per child per year. Hmm. And anybody who understands early childhood and childcare knows that that does not, that is not nearly enough money for what the, what it costs to provide good early childhood, but what it costs parents. So we're, you know, we're trying to think work and have, you know, recommendations before Congress 
that thinks we need to start basing the child care funding first on the child counts um, and not just on a flat percentage of here's what they get and divide it up. So, you know, and this, this has been true in other programs. So if you take, for example, the home visiting program, the tribes, Congress said, okay, the tribes get this much money, enough essentially for about 26 tribes out of 574 tribes to get home visiting funds. No. There's something really wrong here, and, and we think we needed to tackle these problems. Now, they did double the funding for tribes in this last appropriations, but that wasn't enough. It's not nearly enough. And so what we're trying to do and the work we're doing is point out the inequities with the, the basic funding for, for these programs. Yeah. Hey, I, I just want to say a friend of ours, Kelly, uh, she said we held ma- monthly gatherings and combined grant funding to host a meal, cultural activity, and parenting classes. We were able to use our CCDF and ICW prevention education and cultural grants and diabetes prevention grants. We have had cre- we had to ha- be creative and think outside the box. Thanks, Kelly, and just mm-hmm. got to give a quick shout out to Kelly. She's ho chunk ho, <laughs> as I am, and as Haley is. So, um, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> Thinking outside the box is is what you've had to do for many years. It sounds like Linda. Yeah. And, you know, and I really applaud her for that because that's exactly what we need to do. You know, we did in Minnesota, actually, um, my bio says, you know, I was at HHS in the uh, Health and Human Services um, over the child care and youth or child care and Head Start programs. And we started a project where we actually provided funds to tribes to to blend the money and come up with creative solutions to some of the challenges. We need to do more of that kind of thing because this, the best solutions are local. Exactly. Exactly. I agree 100%. You know, I just want to like uh, kind of bring this back a little bit. What is your ultimate goal of your work? And, and uh, I, I know we've been saying a lot of different things, but just to kind of laser beam on that, what is your ultimate goal, uh, Linda? Well, I think a lot of the work that we're trying to do right now is is – help state um, agencies understand tribal sovereignty and all of the issues, you know, the challenges that go along with that and create better partnerships between the tribes and the states so that children who are not living on tribal lands get services. That's one Mm. big goal Mm -hmm. uh, because we know that, you know, well over half of families don't live on tribal lands. So, how do families in take your area, St. Paul, and and uh, that area get services if there's nothing tribal there? So we right. want to tackle that problem. We're proposing some things around the service areas and how we um, get services to families um, outside of that area. And just generally looking at um, better use of data and more... Um, helping, you know, helping, I guess, get this issue in front of Congress and helping us find the solutions to some of this. Right. You, you published a report writing the wrong, uh, you know, examined tribal child care uh, in over 180 plans. Uh, this is kind of what you've learned, right? And what else have you learned through that? Well, we, we learned, I think the biggest thing that we learned was the, the inequities in the funding. There's mm-hmm. absolutely no question there. Um, and then we learned a lot about the lack of data. And, mm. you know, we've been talking to people about getting, let's, we need to get some of this straightened out. And I think it's going to take cooperation between federal agencies. For example, the, the, the data coming out of the census is, um, I'm trying to pick my words carefully, but to say the least, um, problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we need to, we need better data. We need to clean up some of these things so that we actually can figure out how do we fund these things better. So I think that the data and the inequities in the funding are probably the two biggest challenges. And then, then service, these service areas, um, and figuring out how we serve families 
in these big cities. We have a lot of tribal children in cities where right. they're not getting much of anything. Right. Here in Minnesota, I, I thought I, I heard something like 60% of the Native children live off reservation now. Right. And that's been a trend for many years. But uh, that was, I was kind of surprised to hear that. Yeah. No, that's pretty consistent. That is actually, I think, conservative when, you know, we say in our data over 50%, but there are, it's upwards of between 70 and 80%. Wow. Um, so it's a lot of families off off the reservations and um, we just need to address the needs of these families. You know, we did the first, I think that one of the first national surveys of native families mm. um, about a year and a half ago, we have some interesting thing on the need for um, the need for childcare and how much of a barrier it is to families going to work. And that's, that's, that's pretty challenging right there. But then, if there's, you know, if there's no, they, and by the way, the native families that we surveyed prefer programs provided by their, by native people. And that mm -hmm. makes absolute sense. So how that, that, how, that says then we do need to do more to get programs where the families are, to get them services and get them services that respect the culture, the language, the traditions of the families. Wow. And also here I'm reading, you did a documentary film on the challenges of native families uh, and what they face in the childcare. What was a, what was your findings in that documentary? You know, that, that was amazing. And I would recommend your audience take a look at that. It's actually on our website, but what, we found on the Flathead, which is the reservation that I'm from, we, we did a documentary. We filmed at the Salish Kootenai College, has a child care program associated with it. What we saw was, you know, the, the challenges of the families on the reservation had in just accessing not just child care, but housing. All, there were all kinds of challenges. One family, and it's in the documentary, was driving 75 miles in Montana on those highways in the winter mm. to because that's where they could find housing and then they were driving back and forth with their children and i you know i think we we can do better than that folks we just can um, but what we also found was that on the flathead reservation the gap in other words for every there's only one childcare space on the, on the reservation for every two children. So in other words, the gap is almost 50% that they, wow. they, they have no childcare for those, those children. And then how do parents go to work? Exactly. Linda, get, uh, we got a minute left. Uh, what else would you like to say? Would you direct people to the website or to your work? And, uh, I've really appreciated this and I, I got to get you back on and talk about Edward Kennedy sometime. Yeah, that would be great. Um, well, I would just suggest that they go to, you know, our website is the Bipartisan Policy Center Early Childhood Initiative. We actually have a landing page for the work that we're doing with the tribal issue. And I would suggest they take a look at it and take a look at the documentary because I think it's pretty pretty powerful. And some of the, some of the parent stories were pretty, um, you know, they're pretty um, emotional. Wow. Thanks, Linda. Uh, Director of Early Childhood Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Pinigigi for being on, and hopefully we'll talk to you again. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We do, too. Up next, Bob Blake from Red Lake with the Solar Bear with the Solar News. JS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. 
Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live and and let howl. This is David from The David Pakman Show, where we expose the hatriots, liars, and Trumpists weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Would you let animals pick your insurance? Do you really need to experience mayhem to get the best rates? Or how about a celebrity quarterback or fake university saving you money? There's a lot of marketing stunts when it comes to insurance, but what you really need is someone looking out for you. Call Array Insurance, and they will work hard to find you the best insurance coverage and rates. So avoid gimmicks. Call Cheryl at Array, 763-504-3067 or ArrayInsurance.com. Array Insurance, working hard for you. Hi, this is Chad from AM950. Snap Construction is arguably the most well-reviewed roofing, siding, window, and insulation contractor in the metro. Ryan is so excited about working with AM950 and our listeners that he wants to help us grow. This is Ryan, owner of Snap Construction. I was friends with Chad long before I started marketing with him. I was a bit skeptical of radio advertising before Chad convinced us to run ads. The advertising's been so successful, we want to help the station grow. We've absolutely loved working with the listeners of AM950, and we all know how extreme important this radio station is to the community. To help AM950 grow, Snap Construction will be putting up proceeds to assist the station in marketing on social media. Snap Construction encourages you to follow, engage, share, and interact on the AM950 social media platforms. Together, we can all work to ensure AM950 continues to thrive and grow in our communities. We stand by our work with a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee. For a free estimate or more information on our financing, call 612-333-SNAP or check us out online. Turn to Auto Technical with your vehicle donation. We have families waiting for a car. You know, over 85% of unemployed are successful in finding and keeping a job if they have dependable transportation. A car plus a job equals a life changed. 612-919-5526. We have families waiting for a car. 919-5526 or autotech.org. Escape to the natural beauty of nature at the We Are the Medicine Black Moon Gathering event May 19th through 21st at Champion Valley in Lakeville. This wellness gathering offers a safe space for interactive education, healing, and relaxation in nature. And connect with others while respecting the sacred land. Join the supportive community by camping at the We Are the Medicine Black Moon Gathering May 19th through 21st at Champion Valley in Lakeville. Tickets at edgemagazine.net. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lulia. Partly cloudy tonight with a low of 48, then sunny Thursday with a high of 75. The Tungis Palette is a social enterprise business built with purpose and fortified with love. Discover the best peach cobbler in the world at Latungi's Palette, 1400 Park Avenue South in Minneapolis. Visit the website at latungispalette.com. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Yes, they are, and they've been uh, supporting us for over six years. And uh, every birthday, which I have a birthday coming up uh, uh, on Facebook, I always uh, have that as my... um, as my uh, fundraiser, my birthday fundraiser. So they're awesome and great people there. And uh, speaking of great people, we have Bob Blake from Red Lake. I always love to say that. Get that out of the way, Robert. But we got Robert Blake with the Solar Bear with the Solar News. And always great to have you on. Yeah. Hey, Robert. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Good to be here. How's everything going? Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I just came back from Madison, Wisconsin, and did some tribal stuff, and drove back home. Um, got to take a nap, and here we are on Native Roots Radio. <laughs> I saw that, Robert. That's pretty cool. What were you doing up at the uh, over there? At the it looked like you were at the Capitol. You took a picture of the Capitol. 
Well, that, I, the, my hotel was right across from the Capitol. So, and then w- I was at a uh, clean water action in Wisconsin, which was, there was like a thousand people there supporting uh, what's going on in Madison and all the lakes around there. And our tribe, uh, Ho-Chunk Nation, is a big supporter. Uh, and we have a lot of people living in Madison. Of course, we have all those beautiful, uh, you know, um, uh, animal uh, hills in in uh, Wisconsin, and to preserve the ones that are left, and a lot of them around the lakes, and getting the sulfur out of the lakes, and things that you talk about, and uh, these guys are really uh, doing it, and on top of it, and we're talking about the next seven generations, as uh, as you do talk about Bob, about what where we're heading, and in the Green New Deal, and all the things that you're working on. And so, yeah, it's, it's exciting time to be native. Yeah. And you know what, Robert, that is a great segue into exactly what this first story I want to talk about on the soul, on the solar news with the solar bear and, and, and what is happening in Canada right now with the indigenous communities that are leading, um, in the green energy boom up there. Um, uh, a lot what has happened with Canada is that they um, took a lot of took a lot of their money, um, you know, um, and it's it's similar to the way that the system works here in the United States, like, you know, uh, that, you know, reserves have to apply to get the money to build the the renewable energy projects, too. But the difference is the red tape that the um the canadians have to kind of go through is kind of less than what we have to do down here and um because so um this this green energy boom is just happening up in 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 canada in the uh first nations uh reserves up there and it's just really exciting and canada is really looking at the first nations to really lead the way um in their country um with renewable energy so Really, really exciting stuff happening up there um, with those First Nations um, and the uh, and 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 you know just the 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 implementation of green energy into all of their communities. Yeah, definitely, and uh, that's the direction we got to go. And I and it's funny too. I've talked to people, and it's really kind of sad in a lot of things. And it's great to have you on and us talking about this because I hear these talking points, even from the, the last president still coming up where, you know, uh, these windmills are killing hundreds and thousands of eagles and, and they're just regurgitating that. So it's great to have you on, Bob, and talk, talk sense and get some am- ammunition for our listeners to, because uh, I'm always stunned when I hear stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 what what's and, and so what what they do, everyone, when they put up these windmills, is they put them. You know what is the most um, traditionally been ways of the, the air current, right? This will be the most advantageous way to build these these uh, these windmills. And what happens is the birds ride these air currents, okay? Um, but you know, uh, during, of course, like we know in climate change, and you know, a report just came out recently too, Robert, that if you're going to be flying, you're going to be experiencing more turbulence because of climate change, and so you know, um, this has really affected the uh, the air currents, um, and also a, a lot too with these with these new wind farms, um, they're putting up uh, like they're painting one turbine like you know black, you know, so. Like the birds can tell, you know what I mean? It, it, it right. so, you know, things are, they're, they're making the changes necessary so that the birds can, can see and, and so that you, you have less deaths, but, um, we definitely need our birds. They eat the rodents. Um, and you, we know the rodents carry diseases. So, you know, it's, it's a circle of life and, and, and I'm all for that. Um, but I got an, I got another story here, uh, on, you know, how the IRA incentives, are really uh, changing a lot of states, um, you know, and, and kind of their outlook as far as like how they're, uh, you know, putting renewable energy into, you know, their state plans. And it's incredible all the way from rooftop solar, customer savings, economic development and grid reliability. 
So the the word out there that like renewable energy isn't good for your state or your for community, um, state leaders are are implementing these plans into their, uh, you know, into their uh, forecast and, and into their outlook into the future, and and really pairing how uh, states can take advantage of these federal programs. Um, even here in the state of Minnesota, um, we have a bill that where we will match. Now we will start matching these federal incentives. So it's really exciting for all this to be happening right now um, around renewable energy. And the state's taking a really proactive approach to trying to, um, you know, allocate or trying to grab a lot of this, a lot of these federal dollars out here. Um, this has been one of the greatest investment into renewable energy and into uh, green, green infrastructure um, this country has ever seen from the Inflation Reduction Act, Robert. Wow, yeah, and I just got to say this: we talked a little bit about my trip in Madison to Madison, and right outside the airport, they have a huge solar farm, and it's always cool because I kind of come in the back way to to the to the Capitol there on uh, what is it nine or thirty nine and fifty five or fifty two, and uh, beautiful to see. You know, it's been there for a few years too. Yeah, and and you know, um, in in uh, Minneapolis, uh, yeah, St. Paul, we we got that one above the um, um, the the it's like a parking canopy um, up there. So yeah, um, yeah. If you ever pull in and you kind of look up, it's it's up there, it's up there out of the left there, the parking canopy. Uh, that project's been there for I want to say three years now. I think it's been there for three years now. But um, that is uh, that's been really um, a really cool program that they have there. And and you see more of these airports, more of these like transportation hubs um, turning towards green energy because it just makes economic sense, Robert. Yeah, it does. You know, and again, I want to get back to maybe the dark cloud. You know, we talk about carbon footprints and all these things that, you know, are. you know, that solar causes a bigger carbon footprint. And it's just a ridiculous uh, right-wing jibber-jabber because we want to get off the, you know, we want to get off not only the grid, but we want to get off of oil and all those things that are really messing up our, uh, our uh, you know, the weather, you know. It's just insane. Look at the Mississippi uh, uh, here in Minnesota. It's like... Uh, in St. Croix, across that river, it's just huge. And uh, there's lakes off 94 on the way to Wisconsin. I mean, that were never there, but there used to be farm fields. You know, this is this is something that happens every 100 years. It's been happening so much more, Bob. Yeah, no, I mean, climate change is really affecting, you know, how, you know, um, we're, we're, we're going to have to live and how we're going to have to have clean water just like the great work that you're doing over in Wisconsin, Robert, thank you so much, you know, for, for all of us citizens, because, you know, uh, I mean, we only have so much fresh water in, in the world. Uh, water is life. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is, ve- this is a very important subject. And we need more politicians like you, Robert, that are going to stand up for the people and think about the next seven generations. And so I'm really happy that you were in Wisconsin advocating for those for those issues, for our planet, for the people, um, and for our communities, because it, it really, it's that type of leadership, Robert, that is really going to change this around. When we think about everything that we can do, we think about everything that needs to be done, right? It's mm-hmm. really going to be led by our politicians like you, Robert, that is really going to, that's going to make that difference and have that voice out there that is really going to change the tide for this planet and for our communities and for the environment. Yeah, thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. And you know, and your work is based on our teachings as Native Americans. And we think of the next seven generations because the seven generations before thought of us. And that's why we're still here. And we're always been, you know, the protector of Mother Earth and Father Sky. And that's in our DNA. And and, and frankly, it's in our, 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 our white allies' DNA, too, because we've all been colonized over these thousands of years. We're just the last, uh, last uh, front line, so to speak, right now. And we talk about that a lot, Bob. Yeah, absolutely, right? We, too, too late to explore, too, too early to, like, you know, 
and but dressed in time to like save the planet. <laughs> and, and that's really that's really what what it is for us, Robert. So it it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take these great programs that are being implemented, like the Inflation Reduction Act, and all of this great legislation, and just you know politicians like yourself, Robert, to keep on fighting for us because you really are example, and and you know you really do it. And and I remember. The first time getting on this, this you were like, run for office, you start a company, you know, you, you were like, right. did all that, Robert. And it's, it's such a, it's such a great example. Well, can you hold on for a quick, another segment for a couple more minutes? That'd be great. And, uh, we always say you need to resist, divest, run for office, uh, and run, you know, join a group and run for office. And Bob, you've done that too. You've run for office too city council here and doing doing things like that you're a doer and we always have fun being on the show i thought you were going to talk about our iowa trip but maybe we can talk a little bit about that in the next segment oh uh, hey you're listening to native roots radio presents i'm awake and we're with bob blake from red lake with the solar bear with the solar news we'll be right back stay with us Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. When it comes to mental health, making connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? Connections can bring comfort, hope, and joy. Find ways that work for yourself and others like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, creating space to listen. Visit cmentalhealth.org. That's cmentalhealth.org. cmentalhealth.org. Eat Local Minnesota is a great way to find locally owned Minnesota restaurants and food purveyors. You'll find high quality food and unique eating experiences with dishes from around the world. Just visit eatlocalminnesota.com for your next meal. Come visit the award-winning Hazel's Northeast in Minneapolis for breakfast, lunch, dinner, or weekend brunch. For breakfast, try the slow-cooked brisket hash, hippie cakes, and meat waffle. While for lunch, enjoy favorites like the buttermilk fried chicken sandwich or veggie burger. Hazel's is open Tuesdays through Saturdays, 8 to 8, with a Sunday brunch from 8 to 2. Located off 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis. More at hazelsne2go.com. If you're craving barbecue, then don't drive too fast or you will miss Scott Jamama's Hot Barbecue, located at 3 West Diamond Lake Road in Minneapolis. Scott Jamama's offers mouth-watering baby back ribs, grilled chicken, and half-pound pulled pork sandwiches. The potato salad, spicy baked beans, and twice-baked potatoes should not be missed. More details at scottjamamas.com. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Oh! Hey, we're here with Bob Blake, and uh, Robert Blake is uh, the owner of Solar Bear, and uh, and we're here with the Solar News, and you also have a nonprofit, Bob, uh, that we like to talk about too. Yeah, absolutely. It's Native Sun Community Power Development, and uh, we're doing some uh, we're doing some fun work. Uh, we, we're having um, one of our first uh, solar training classes coming up in a couple of weeks uh, up in the Red Lake Nation. We got 15 people's already signed up. Um, we also have a workforce program training program that's going to be starting in the fall um, that will be training individuals from all over the Twin Cities, um, and they can go ahead and um, contact us through the the website. Um, but we'll be starting outreach on that, um, you know, probably August, I think I want to say. Cool. I mean, yeah. and, and then um, and then we're also uh, working on the electric vehicle charging network uh, through Minnesota to North Dakota to South Dakota and hopefully into Michigan and Wisconsin here very shortly, too. So a uh, lot right. of exciting things happening, working on the Solar Cup program, K-12 curriculum for the kids, 
um, and and uh, we got some other uh, demonstration projects that we're uh, doing too. So really cool things happening. Um, and then Robert, I, I did want to point this out though. This just came out in Bloomberg News, mm-hmm. and and you know because of everything that's kind of happening with you know the rising of interest rates, inflation, and just all this talk about the economy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was kind of a point time to point out that U.S. power prices rise the most in 40 years, in 41 years. Um, Electricity prices rise 15.8% to its highest since August of 1981. Jeez. So this is the highest price. So, you know, when we talk about solar and renewable energy and how it's a hedge against inflation because you as a consumer are going to know that price, right? That you're going to pay for the next 30 years that you have those solar panels. Um, This is kind of what we talk about because we don't know where prices are going with um, energy prices, but we do know that um, this is the highest that they've ever been since August of 1981. Wow. Wow. And I was 20 years old then. That's how long ago that was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, before we get any far farther, Bob, too, I wanted to. Uh, we were joking a little bit about uh, Iowa and how we, you know, we did the radio show down there live, and we met all these cool people that we still, politicians and and news people that we still talk with over the years. Uh, I want to wish you a happy uh, Native American Heritage Month, uh, even though it's always Native American Heritage Month for you and me, but. Uh, I want to wish you that and a lot of things going on this month in Indian country and here in the Twin Cities and just really excited to celebrate and uh, celebrating with you. Yeah, um, I I just got back from Washington, D.C. last week, Robert. Um, I was invited out to Vice President Kamala Harris's uh, residence um, and um, there was, I got to say, at least half the half the people at that party were native people from all over the country. And it was really exciting to see and meet some of uh, these uh, other native people that are doing wonderful work around the environment. And, um, and, and, and of course, you know, everyone that was there, uh, you know, and the great work that they were doing, but um, it was really nice to um, uh, meet all those people and and be invited and, and, and to be able to, uh, experience that i i don't think solar bear is ever going to do that again so but <laughs> 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 I, I take the advantage while i have the time there to uh, check it out well maybe the next president or if it's biden or a new vice president or however it shakes out here in the next couple of years uh yeah i wouldn't count yourself you were hanging out you were a key speaker one one uh night a couple of years ago with the former vice president uh uh, Dan, uh, I was going to say Dan Quell. Wow. Um, no, Clinton's former vice president. Al Gore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He had me on stage with him and we were talking about the program that I did with training inmates up at Will River Correctional Facility. Um, and so the idea there was to battle mass incarceration with climate change, fight climate change or mass incarceration. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, I believe I spoke to about seven different states to, that they were implementing that same program in their in their state. So um, that was really cool that people garnered some inspiration and remark and interesting. You brought that up, Robert, because yeah. as I was at the party, there was a couple of people. Um, one of them did come up to me and say, hey, I remembered you on stage with Al Gore. And yeah, they were talking to me about that. And I was like, oh, hey, uh, thank you. You know, like, what do you do? Thank you so much. So. Yeah, that was really a cool event, and I was really happy and excited to be a part of that. And um, by the way, the Vice President Harris was such a just really wonderful person. I mean, she is – I mean, her speech was incredible. I mean, she's got the goods, Robert, to be president. Trust me. Well, hey, did I tell you that I met Obama? Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I saw that picture. 15 seconds boom <laughs> i got a that picture was about what it was for me too 15 <laughs> seconds boom. i was gonna i was gonna uh, tell obama to uh tell his friend joe biden to free leonard peltier i was i was all ready to go off on him and let him and then he smiles 
smiled, asked me how I was doing, put his hand out to shake, and I wanted to kiss him. I didn't want to yell at him. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I got a picture, and then I was gone, mumbling to myself. Well, you know, speaking <laughs> of, like, the ups and downs of, like, our political system, um, have you ever heard of Six Flags? Um, yeah. Um, okay. Well, they are going to install the largest solar carport in the United States. Wow. So as if some of you are going to go out to maybe go check out, you know, these taking your family out for the family um, summer vacations this year, um, some of you might go to, to Six Flags. They are installing the largest solar carport um, wow. in the United States. That's going to be, I, I can't even imagine how big that project is going to look. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's probably just going to be massive. So I, I think that's really good. Good on for Six Flags. They're, they say that they're going to generate the power to power the rides. Um, wow. And, and it, it, it really is um, a, a great move by, by Six Flags uh, to do so. That is huge. Uh, now all we have to do is push our politicians to really support hemp batteries. And uh, I will uh, die a happy camper when we get to that point. And uh, we need to lobby them and bring it up and, and, and talk to them because we're heading towards solar and we want, we, uh, you know, in electric cars and thing and batteries, we just need to, to, to do it a good way. And I always like my uh, calculator story, right, Bob? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that brings up another interesting uh, point too, Robert, that, you know, we've got entrepreneurs out there right now, like these ones in San Francisco that have figured out a way to, um, to uh, get um, permitting um, for more solar projects, um, you know, uh, going quicker um, in, in, in the city of San Francisco. So Robert, it's incredible how this is just, uh, this is creating a domino effect across the country and more and more people are getting involved. And, um, you know, like you said, it's going to take all of us. So um, I'm really happy to see all of us coming together the, the way we are. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming on. Always great to have you. Uh, always a positive, sign, uh, you know, ray of light in talking about the future with you. Really appreciate it. Hey, if you are listening to the show, you are part of the resistance from Chief Plenty Coops, the ground on which we stand on is sacred ground it is the blood of our ancestors we need to resist divest join a group run for office we're still here we are the seventh generation i want to thank bob blake haley and katie or linda k smith i mean uh, the director of early childhood policy what a great show we'll see you tomorrow we're still here we are the seventh generation free leonard peltier now